Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode 466. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy that you are here to join us today. And I am thrilled to introduce today's guest, Jack Gibson. Jack is the co-founder of High Return Real Estate. And Jack, welcome. I'm so happy that you're here to join us. Kim, it's a pleasure to be here. You know, it's really, I was excited to hear that your two boys and you and I share the same struggle with kids fighting all the time. So, Oh my gosh, yeah. Listeners... To have a good spirit to talk to. <laughs> yeah. Listeners, I just want to give you a heads up that we're recording this during summer break in the U.S. And <laughs> I am personally, like, so counting down the days to when school gets started back up again. Last summer, Jack, I actually canceled all recordings all through the summer. I don't blame you. Yeah. This summer, I did not. Next summer, I think I'm just kicking them out of the house for the summer. <laughs> Send them off to some type of camp or military school. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Sports camp for them both. Actually, military <laughs> right. school might be a big help too. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> totally honest. Jack, I would love if you would share your background with the listeners because you know your story and your journey better than anybody else. Sure. Yeah. So, Kim, I, um, actually, I'm 40 years old. I just turned 40. I started in my first business when I was 19. Had amazing parents, you know, I, I can't criticize them in the slightest, but their belief system was go to school, get good grades, study hard. We want you to go to college and, you know, then move on, get your master's degree, all that stuff to then go get a job and have a security. And that's what they did. And they were very successful in their career paths. Uh, but for me, I could always you know, kind of, I knew the entrepreneurial bug was always within me. And I knew that I, you know, I didn't really want to go down that path. So when I was, uh, one day I'm sitting in my dorm room, I'm kind of frustrated with this whole, you know, experience of just going after good grades. Like I was just getting stressed out with that process and wasn't enjoying life. And then this, another college student gave me a flyer about another business opportunity in the network marketing industry, multi-level marketing industry and, and nutrition. And I was always into nutrition uh, growing up, trying to, you know, figure things out for, you know, how to improve athletic performance and all of that. And I got interested and started in that. And by my junior year, I had a million dollar business right from my dorm. And it was fantastic. Of course, you know, the, uh, had a lot of struggles getting that going. I don't want to paint the picture that it was easy and, you know, like overnight success. It actually took me nine months before I had my first commission check for $14. So, Oh my gosh. Yeah. So anyways, like, but it, it became very successful. I, I went into that once I graduated and talking to you and, and just talking about positive productivity and what you share in your podcast, it's, it's equally important to share like the struggles and just the things that don't go well as you're building your business. Well, I graduate from college. I have a million dollar business. I'm making a pretty nice income, not, um, you know, nothing crazy, but it was good to where I could do it full time. And 
two things happened is the month I graduated number or three things I should say. Number one is our founder of our company, which at the time was a billion dollar company and the kind of the visionary leader, he passed away. Oh no. So that really took our company uh, through a whirlwind of, you know, trying to figure out who's going to be the next leader and how can mm-hmm. you replace him. Number two, our best-selling product uh, started to get a little controversial in the diet marketplace, so it got uh, discontinued. So now my, you know, I'm, I'm reeling from that. And then the third thing is uh, mistakenly put a lot of my eggs in the stock market, and that was the dot-com bubble of 2000, right? So I lose like, you know, 8,000, 9,000, 10,000. I don't know. It was a lot of money when you're just out of college and you've been saving and scrimping through college. So those three events really just, you know, were very challenging and kept me humble. And it took me uh, several years to really get traction with the business again. And But at this point, that business is now a $10 million uh, enterprise and I decided to uh, start another business in the real estate niche. So that's been, what, two years now? And so, yeah, that's where we're at now, Kim. And it's been quite the journey in both enterprises, lots of challenges. I could write a book. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm over here laughing because I'm going to be 40 in March. So you and I were probably in college right about the same time. I started in 97. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Okay. In my freshman dorm we still had dial-up internet but when i went into the next dorms in sophomore year we had ethernet i mean it's still do you ever have the struggle of your kids saying that internet is slow you might not have that because yours are a little bit younger than mine but they complain about download and upload speeds like (laughs) look when i was your age we had 28.6 you know or 56k modems so I don't want to hear about your 100 megabytes a, a second complaints. And Yeah, you know, my kids are pretty spoiled. I mean, you complain about a lot of things. I haven't heard that one just because we have the fastest possible internet speed. I, I, uh-huh. I, value, I value time over money. Yes. I'll just pay for time so that I can be more productive. So, yeah, they don't complain about that one, but there's certainly a long list that they have. Like, they'll actually have the nerve to ask me, Mom, are you downloading something? And I'll say, excuse me. (laughs) 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 Yes, I might be downloading a whole bunch of somethings, but is your game paying for the internet or is my work? So, shush. But just don't look, you know, if you want like T1 line, you guys can pay for it. Exactly. Mm. But the reason I bring this up is because, you know, back in the day of, well, I'll just put it out there, AOL, I can't imagine getting a business started for my dorm room. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah, you know, I think about it, it was the fall of 96 when I went in. So we didn't even have any internet in our dorm rooms. Wow. Yeah, it was, you know, email and everything was just starting to get off the ground. So, I mean, it was a very, you know, traditional way of marketing. You know, I'd go out and put flyers in the Walmart parking lot. I go post signs on telephone poles. I, you know, I'm not quite sure how legal that was, (laughs) you know, whatever it takes type mentality and put ads in, believe it or not, newspapers. Mm. And we'd actually pay to put an ad in a newspaper. And uh, that's how I got my business going. And then fortunately got 
some uh, clients really amazing results in that in that business, and they started you know word of mouth really took hold. So it was uh, not really until probably even 2008 2010 where we really were able to figure out how to get internet that use utilize the internet to really grow. You know, and that's obviously social media is what really uh, took hold for us in our style of business. It, it was a perfect fit. Absolutely. Okay, I have a question before we mm-hmm. jump into more of what you do today. Do you think it's just a product of the families that we came from or geography or just the era that we grew up in? Because I was raised in what sounds like very similar way to you. And mm-hmm. that was, I mean, if I didn't get on the honor roll in high school, I was grounded. That was just it, no question. And college was an expectation. I mean, they, they could say that it wasn't, but I Let's just be honest. It was. Yep. But whereas my sisters and my brother went to more of a, quote, typical school, I went to art school. Okay. I was always the black sheep. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, even throughout my adult life, I have been on the very non-conventional path as far as my family is concerned. What did your parents expect you to do when you graduated college and how did they accept the path that you did take? You know, I wonder if that is a Midwest type of like strong cultural value. I don't know. I mean, I know the Midwest has a very strong, I feel like a very strong like work ethic Mm -hmm. as far as like, is it a cultural thing in in our area where they say, yeah, you know, a lot of people have this pressure to go to college and get, you know, go that path. You know, it's a great question that I'm not sure on, but I do know that my parents, it was, it was tough for them to swallow when I told them that like I'm doing multi-level marketing. Like it was a very alternative type of business. Even today it is and still controversy, of course. There's still it's still controversial, but much more mainstream and accepted today than it was, you know, 20 years ago. So for them, yeah, that was a tough pill for them to swallow. But what I did is I just when I graduated college, I just wrote him a letter because I didn't want to have the conversation and have the awkwardness of it. So I just wrote him a letter and said, look, you guys have always loved me, supported me no matter what I do. And this is what I want to do. And I just want you to support me and just get behind it. And I don't want to hear any negativity about it. So just wanted to make sure that you're in. I never heard a thing after that in terms of it was all just, hey, good job. You're doing great. You know? I just choked on my coffee on mute (laughs) because I'm the same way. If I had difficult things I needed to share with my parents, it was a letter too. Yeah. Because I I didn't want to be talked out of whatever I was saying if I had a voice conversation. Yep. And the same has even been true with my husband. If I have something that I need to say that (laughs) I'm not, or I'm a little bit concerned about how he's going to take it, it's to this day a letter. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, that's not so much the case anymore, but it was definitely the case when when we first started dating because I was a little bit of a chicken. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How's he going to take this? I don't want to be like rejected or anything. Right. I didn't want to have a, I just didn't want to have anything to do with any conversation that was going to try to talk me out of what I was going to do. So the finality of the letter in your hand is a a legal binding document between us. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. And there's that like scary shake in the like the pit in your stomach that happens either before you push send or before you drop it in the mailbox. Like, oh, right. do I really want to do this. Right. Yeah. So 
I do want to say I'm actually from Rochester, New York. So I guess, I mean, it's not, it's about the most Midwestern part of New York that you could possibly get to, but it's not Midwest. But yeah, it, it was very fascinating, though, growing up and seeing on my dad's side of the family, just about, well, there's 13 grandchildren, I think, 11 or 13, and we all went to college. And on my mom's side, my sister and I were the only two that went to college out of seven or so. And it's very fascinating, though, now to watch my cousins on my dad's side, how many have gone into their own thing. I mean, even my sister, who went to Cornell and was like the prodigy child, Jackie, if you're doing the show notes on this, I love you. I mean it all with respect. But she's part of my company now. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, and there were those times when we had struggles where I heard parents say, you know, do you think you should consider going back and getting a real job? And I just always had to just take it and keep on going because I knew, I wonder if you felt the same way, but I knew that if I just kept on going, then someday it would get to where I wanted it to go, but it wasn't going to get there if I went back and got a quote real job. Yeah. And, you know, I think success just solves a lot of those issues. So for me, I just knew like, look, I just prove that this was the right path. And no matter what I say, it's probably not going to make that much difference. I need to walk it. You know, I actually need to get results and results really kind of pretty much in, in American life, pretty much kind of proved the whole story. So I just knew that like, I just needed to kind of buckle down, stay focused, grow the business. And when I produce results and that's going to, that'll silence any of the critics. Oh, absolutely. How did you really learn how to grow your business when you were in college and building the first business, considering the fact that internet wasn't as big as it is now? Um, You know, certainly I could say trial and error. I mean, we did have a proven model, but it wasn't like, I wouldn't say it was that dialed in at the time. Mm -hmm. I just really love marketing and I love sales and I love nutrition. I mean, it's like all of those things. I love people. Just kind of was a, it was a passion. And so I, I woke up, you know, in the morning, went to class and just couldn't wait to get out of class so I could go like work on and grow my business. It was fun for me. It was like almost like a hobby. So when you have that kind of passion and excitement and, and you just really look forward to doing it, it just makes it a lot easier. And, it, and not to say that like I always like 100% of the time I was on point and couldn't wait to go, you know, build the business. It, that goes in cycles and in ebbs and flows, I think just like everything in life. I mean, you know, look at like, I look at my relationships and they ebb and flow. I mean, sometimes we're, it's really, really great. And sometimes it's really not so good. And, you know, you look at uh, your physical health results. I mean, sometimes you're like really on point. Sometimes you, you know, get off track and slide. I mean, it's just like everything, right? So I do know that, you know, just trying to really seek out other mentors and people that had been successful before, that was a huge key to my success. I was very unafraid to go up to people that had what I wanted and had success and just drill them with questions. I think the best, to me, some of the best entrepreneurs are the ones who ask the best questions. You know, that's, yeah. I think that's very important. Oh, very important. Yeah. <laughs> so I graduated in 2001 and moved to greater New York area. I'll be fully honest, I didn't get paid enough to live in the city and the apartment rental agents laughed me right out. Sure. <laughs> but I was 
I was an interior designer, designing high-end corporate spaces. And I was in Manhattan on 9-11, which was quite the experience. But I think through all of that and going the route then, and there was just so much that happened. I mean, I had my first child within a year and a half of graduating college while I was working in Manhattan. A lot of perspective changed. You know, this is not quite the dream that I thought it was going to be. And this isn't where I necessarily, where I personally wanted to raise a child. Of course, I also didn't plan on having one at 22. But we moved out here and I had no intention of actually starting my first business. I didn't even know that I had any entrepreneurial blood in me until it sort of fell in my lap. Mm -hmm. What were some of the big mistakes that you made out of the... and? And I mean this in a good way, because I, I believe that all of our mistakes teach us just a tremendous load. But what were some of the mistakes that you made? And I also want to ask, when did you find time to sleep? <laughs> well, that's one thing that I always put as a priority, because if I don't get enough sleep, I mean, I'm a grouch and irritable and, you know, just just I'll have to make it up somewhere. So it's never been a that part's never been a problem. But mistakes, I mean, you know, of course, I've got a long, long list. I think, uh, you know, looking back, I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? Which is oh, yeah. vision back. But, you know, I think, you know, one mistake is that, you know, when a, when a marketing channel or a way of doing business was really, really hot, I didn't go all in on that. Mm. So, for example, at the time you know, late nineties. I mean, honestly, like the most effective way to grow your business. I mean, it sounds really, really cheesy, but it was going around and, you know, putting signs up on telephone poles. Cause for a buck, you know, you could grab a corgi, you could, you know, get a, a sign professionally done. You could go out and put them up on a pole and, you know, you could get, you know, 10 leads off of it over time or even more, maybe a hundred if you got in the right spot. You know, 100 leads for a dollar. Yep. Well, that's good ROI in any business, right? Oh, yeah, it is. So, you know, I just never went all in on that. I was trying to figure out how to sit back behind my computer and get leads to come in to my email box. Well, you know, at that time, that just that was too expensive. And, and I didn't really know how to do that cost effectively. So I spent thousands and probably wasted a quarter of a million dollars doing that where I could have spent 10,000 bucks, gotten 10,000 signs, went out for a week and just put them all up around, you know, the region and just got my phone ringing off the hook. So, you know, and I look back to like the last few years, I mean, we've had a huge meteoric rise of some people in our company that have done uh, huge things through Instagram. And I mean, I'm, I'm getting late, I'm late to the party on that, you know, I'm just starting to really kind of get into it. And but I was skeptical about it, you know, a few years back. Is this really going to last? Is it really worth the time? I, I really don't want to learn a new skill. Well, you know, now I'm kind of paying the price watching these other folks grow these massive, massive distributorships and businesses at, at very young ages. Oh, absolutely. I've been sort of slow to jump on some of the bandwagons as well. And I'm thankful for some of them. But I was really fast when somebody introduced me to Google AdWords. And I would have to say like 2005, 2006-ish. It could be a little bit later. But that's when I started my first business, 
which was just a mistake from beginning to end. But I decided to give it a DIY try at Google AdWords. And I was in Ohio by that point. And I woke up one morning and found a $800 bill for Google AdWords in my inbox. And I had only set up my Google AdWords the day before. But I had done it all wrong. Oh, yeah. I had no idea what I was doing. I have not touched Google AdWords. Public knowledge, just need to put it out there. I have not touched Google AdWords since. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. And that is just something that I realized not everything can be done by me. I wish I've learned that. Or I wish I learned that on so many other parts of my business since then. Or a lot faster, I should say. But everything takes time. We're ready to learn it when when we're ready to learn it. I, I, I can't say it any better than that. I guess I'm just not that eloquent on that right now. But tell us more about your journey into real estate and how that got started, please. So about uh, probably four years ago now, my stocks dropped like a rock because at that time, you know, my business was really, you know, taken off um, in the nutrition business. And I mean, we're doing, you know, you know, several million dollars in business a year. And I had excess cash finally, and uh, I needed a place to park it and to make it grow and to get a return. So I did what everybody else did, right? You know, got the, you know, put it in the stock market and, and there's, you know, certainly nothing wrong with that, but, you know, I think to put like, again, you know, putting all your eggs in one basket, you better really watch that basket. You better, better know what you're really, better really know what you're doing. And my stocks dropped like, I mean, it was a huge overnight drop. And then I realized from that adversity that I didn't want to spend the rest of my life on this up and down roller coaster, just no control over my investment portfolio. So I knew that real estate was a great way to go. I just didn't, had never taken the time to learn it, study it, figure it out. I didn't want to just go blindly into it. So I started downloading podcasts every day for an hour at the gym. I listened to a new podcast, reading books, just voraciously just studying how to buy right and how to do it and how to make it work. And uh, that led me into what kind of caught my interest was turnkey real estate, because at that, you know, at that time, I was still very much active in my distributorship. My kids were very young at the time. I mean, uh, that would have been what four and six, and I just didn't want to put the effort into trying to learn how to go out and acquire property and rehab it and get tenants in and screen tenants and manage tenants and all of that. So Turnkey was a system that was starting to really get some traction in the U.S. Still, I think it's in its infancy, but then it was really infant. And that's a model where a company will do all of that for you and then sell you a cash flow producing asset that's managed for you. So I started buying up turnkey properties in Indianapolis. That was just a really uh, good cash flow producing market. And there's several in the U.S., but that was one that I could actually, you know, take a three hour drive to and go tour properties. So I started buying up property, get, started really getting a tremendous return. And then I started referring other friends and family and colleagues. And at that point, a lot of people trusted me. I mean, it'd been 20 years where I had built up a really nice network of people that really kind of knew that I played the, the game with integrity and they could trust me and could see that, you know, I'd had some success in life. So I built up this almost like this book of business that were like these referrals 
to my turnkey company. And then it just hit me one day, like, wow, like I actually, I have a business here. I could actually do this and make money. So I talked to my provider at the time and asked him if I could partner in and start making a commission. And he said, yeah, absolutely, man. I've been waiting for you to ask. I thought you didn't have time to do this. So that's when I really just took off, went, went out. I think I sold like a hundred properties and it was, uh, that first 12 months was just fantastic. And, and then, um, during that time I met Shecky and recruited him in as a partner to help me scale the business and take it to more of a nationwide type, much bigger scale than just selling to my network. So, and then the wheels fell off. So I don't know, you know, when you want to get into that, but it was going great and then it didn't go so good. <laughs> yeah, I, I do definitely want to hear about that, but I just want to take a quick second. Listeners, if you haven't listened to the episode with Shecky, I'm actually just trying to get the number really fast so I can tell you where to go, but it will be in the show notes, Shecky's episode as well, which you can find at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP466. Before we jump into when the wheels fell off, I've been thinking about all the investment opportunities that I see. Let me just say, like when I go into Facebook, I see people all the time talking about cryptocurrency right now. It's died off a little bit recently, but mm. that was one where my interest got peaked a little bit when I first saw them talking about it, but I was like, no. Then it sort of fell off and I didn't hear anything about it until all of a sudden all these people have a ton of money or supposedly according to Facebook, you know, of look at how much money I got because I invested in Bitcoin four years ago. Or, right. And I'm just asking and listeners, you may not like the answer, but please just know I'm just curious. Do you think cryptocurrency is at all a safe investment? Wow, that's certainly a great question. I mean... I do know it's a very, very volatile investment, mm -hmm. and I don't think it's for the uh, the faint at heart. Yeah. So I don't think it's for a lot of investors either. And I'll answer your question is like a little bit more in depth. So I have this order of priority of which I think you should invest your money. So, for example, number one thing you need to invest in is into yourself, into your own knowledge base. This is taking classes listening to podcasts, reading books, going to seminars, just increasing your level of knowledge and education and skills. And then a lot of people skip that, right? They want to go and get the quick hit. They want to, instead of taking $2,000 and going and doing a Tony Robbins seminar or 10,000 on some of them, you know, I mean, they, they vary in price. Right. Yeah. Or going to do landmark forum, all these things that can really just change your life and really increase your confidence and mindset and all of that. They want to take their 10,000 bucks and try to make a quick hit and put it into crypto and think that they're going to, you know, triple quadruple, you know, make their money 10 X quickly. Right. Yeah. I think there's a place for that. I just think it's like four or five or six down on the things that you should in the order of which you should be investing. It's a good play. But I think if that's, you know, top towards the top of your list of what you're investing into, I think you have, you're going to have problems. Yeah. You're going to have problems. So I so appreciate where you said mm -hmm. that we need to be investing in ourselves first, because I did not do that. Like, 
I invested in myself last if I did invest in myself, like to the point that I wasn't even sleeping. And listeners, you've heard me talk about that before. I was ready to just end it all because I wasn't even, let me just be brutally honest. I was barely finding time in the day to go use the restroom or take a shower, much less sleep. So it was only after I started getting my sleep back, taking care of my self-care and actually allotting time for my own personal, personal, and I'm going to say that one more time, personal development on top of professional development that Mm -hmm. my business started blossoming. Yeah. Personal development isn't, it's not the most important thing. It's the only thing that matters in terms of being able to grow your life and grow your business. And I think, you know, as far as the crypto, I think it's a fear. It's a it, People have a fear of loss because they start seeing other people making money with it. And just like the, the tech stock bubble in 2000, I saw other people that were making quick hits on their stocks. I even made a quick hit. So then I wanted more of that. And I was feared uh, the loss of, of like missing out on that run. And look, things will always cycle up and cycle back down and the time you want to be buying things is when they've you know when everybody else is like selling and afraid of it so that's to me is like the biggest thing is like think about in crypto when i walked in one time and i think there's this gal who had maybe two thousand bucks to her name and she said she was buying bitcoin i said you know what i need to get out not get in I mean, if you hear everybody doing it, that is the wrong time to be buying. Yeah. Yep. My 15-year-old asked me last week if I own any stock. And I told him, no, I don't now, but I used to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said, well, what did you own? <laughs> and this is my honest answer. I had one share of Starbucks and one share of Amazon in 2008. And I looked... He was like, well, mom, what did you sell it for? <laughs> Combined, I sold them for $100 in 2009. He's like, well, what are they worth today? And I looked. I don't even want to admit what they're worth today combined. But I don't know. I, I've just been so intrigued lately. And I find that it's actually not just me. A fellow podcasting friend, Amy Schuber, from Inspired Conversations, and I talk about the themes that we see recurring on our podcast is what we really need to be following in our life. And we both see that lately it's been real estate. And I'd love for you to discuss this. It seems like one of the safest investments and listeners, I'm not trying to sell you on why you need to invest in real estate, but Mm -hmm. whereas, and this is going to timestamp this. Whereas in the last week we have seen Facebook stock drop immensely. Yeah. Like, Yes, I understand there was a big fallout in 2008 with real estate, especially, you know, if you were in the very lucrative, what's the better word for that, markets? Like, I'm thinking where you buy a two-bedroom home, modest two-bedroom home for over a million dollars. Yeah. But Indianapolis is a different market. Yeah, a lot of your coastal cities are going to have that type of play. hmm Yeah. Well, you make some really good obviously some great points. I mean, I've certainly had some stocks that I'm looking back. I'm like, why didn't you just hold it? It's Mm -hmm. it's absolutely killing it right now. So, you know, here's the way I look at real estate versus stocks. It, there's a great place for, uh, you know, stock plays 
And um, I think it's important to eventually have in your portfolio, you know, with the market at an absolute all-time high, I don't know if this is quite the best time to be buying in. Other people might say, you know what, it's, you know, it's going to keep going up and up and up. And, you know, you just play the long haul. I'm, I'm really nervous about it. So I've, I've just been focusing on cash flow producing real estate. And there's also people that say real estate's high right now. And it is, there are markets that are pretty saucy right now and that are high. And that, you know, you're really, really playing, making a major risk by buying in. You know, when you're in California, you're a single family modest home is a million dollars or more. That's, wow, that's pretty risky to try to buy that and then try to make money and flip it. So everything that we do, Kim, in terms of our real estate strategy right now in this market is to buy a property that regardless of whether the value of it goes up or down, that I buy it, I know that it's going to create positive cash flow. Okay. Now, do I know with 100% certainty that that property over the course, like if I buy it the next 12 months, it's going to be positive in cash flow. I have reasonable certainty that it will, unless something goes wrong where like there's a major fix, a roof collapses or needs foundation repair or something like that. But beyond those type of very unexpected CapEx, capital expenditure type events, I know when I buy the property, that reasonable chance that I'm going to make a positive expectation on the cash flow. And so that way, I don't care that much whether the property goes up or down in value. Of course, I want it to go up, right? But that's not totally the concern. And that's not the reason I'm buying the property. I'm buying it for the income production. So if you follow that strategy, this is kind of the rich dad, poor dad uh, philosophy from Robert Kiyosaki, then you're not going to get yourself in trouble should the economy really revert. We get a re- you know a recession, a depression, or whatever, and your property value you know drops or even plummets. You're going to be able to ride out that storm just fine because your property is producing positive cl- cash. So if I buy a forty-five thousand dollars single family home that's kicking off six fifty seven hundred in rents. We can provide these all day long to our investor base. Then what does it matter if the property drops to 40 or 35? It doesn't matter at all because the rents are soon going to make up that value loss. And and if they just ride it out long enough, the property is going to come back up eventually. We know that market cycle, right? So so that's kind of my thought. Absolutely. I thank you so much for sharing that. How do you feel about, and I'm sorry for asking all these I'm over here thinking about Oprah getting sued by the beef industry for expressing her opinions. Oh, <laughs> right? Right. But how do you feel about people who are investing in property with an Airbnb strategy? I like it. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with that strategy. And actually, it, you know, you're going to have probably going to have more some, you know, a little bit more ups and downs, maybe a little bit more work involved in doing that unless you can, there are people who also do Airbnb and they figured out a way to keep it automated. So they're not very involved, you know, like have a management company that takes care of all the incoming and outgoing and hires the cleaning services and gets the, you know, bookings and all of that. I think if you can figure out a way where it can be a passive investment and you can kind of outsource that part of it and still be profitable paying for all that. Great. Great. But when I buy a piece of property, 
I don't want to get involved in any of that. I don't want to have to be Airbnb and it listing it and all of that. I want to get a renter in and put it under management and boom, I just know every month what my rent check's going to be. Amen to that. I have a hard enough time keeping my own house clean. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, you know, it depends on like, as an investor, how involved do you want to be? And, and do you want to be passive or do you want to be actively involved in it? And if you want to be actively involved, how much time and bandwidth do you have to put into that? Absolutely. So can you share more about what you and Shecky do today? Yeah, it's a great question. So high return real estate, you know, the, the whole company is to provide investors with a safe, secure, profitable cash flow and investment. So we buy up distressed properties. It's kind of a stage of processes that we go through with each property. But generally, we're buying up a distressed property that needs some work put into it and it needs a cash injection. So these are typically properties that people can't normally sell on the MLS to a retail buyer that's going to come in and buy the property with a traditional like Fannie or Freddie Mae mortgage because the property needs too much work. Or it's very difficult for this class of tenants to be able to get a, you know, a loan to buy a property that's in the 50, 60, $70,000 mark. A lot of banks don't want to, they don't want to touch them because they're not profitable for them. And generally the tenants, you know, if they could uh, and had the credit score to buy a property, they're generally going to be buying a hundred plus thousand dollar type property. So we come in with cash and, um, Cash is king in, in what we do. So we put in cash offers. We fix the properties up with our 10 to 15 different construction teams. So we get them uh, rehabbed quick. And then we've decided in the last several months that we want to take our business to a whole new level of transparency to our investors and be proactive. So we actually send ourselves and pay for a third-party inspector. And we have a couple that we use depending on how quickly they can get the inspection done. Well, we send an inspection company in to evaluate our construction team's job. And then they come back with their report. And then we mitigate all those repairs. They're always finding them. It's inevitable part of what they do. Or if they didn't find them, you know, they're going to probably figure they're not going to be hired back on. So they keep finding things. We repair them. And then we provide the investor with a finished, inspected, reinspected property that then our partner property management company will put a place a tenant typically within a couple of weeks, especially on the single family homes. And the investor is going to have a immediate cash flow producing asset that they can count on a residual income every single month. And we'll manage that whole process for them. And we make our money pretty much strictly on the sale of the property. The management on the back end is very uh, much a service to our investors so that we can control their profitability and the performance and the maintenance on their property. That way you don't have to third parties outsource all that stuff to where they can get absolutely killed from other providers on, on the markup on that type of stuff. Hmm. Well, having just bought our house in the last month, we were in a rent to own of our single family house for four years before we could actually get the mortgage approved. And close to the end. I mean, the market four years ago in Dayton, Ohio was a lot different than it is now. It's really hot. Sure. It, was that pretty standard across the board four years ago? 
You're saying your market's hot right now or was it's hotter now than it was four years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely across the board in every market. And I think in the country, the market's pretty hot. So the previous owner, because we did finally in the last month, actually a month ago yesterday, sign the papers and, you know, (laughs) the mortgage is now in not our name, which is scary, but awesome. Right. But she was having trouble selling or renting out the house. So when I said that we were looking for a rent to own, she's like, awesome, you know. But when the market started getting hot, we started getting a lot more pressure on us to get the mortgage approved. And it was just a beast. I got to be fully honest. So I was looking around our town at other pieces of property that were available. And I was amazed at just what you were saying, like the distressed properties, just how much work they would need. I mean, there was no way that we could move our family in and still be doing that work in the process because there would constantly be dust in there. There there would constantly be people in the house working on it. And I knew that it would be a lot more difficult to get a mortgage company to approve us because just like you were saying, it's going to be hard for them to approve a $100,000 mortgage if you could even do it, knowing that in order to get that value back, all the work would have to be performed. And I've seen just in my family, like my uncle has invested in real estate. There's so many times that people haven't been able to get it just because the bank knows that that there's just so much contingent upon actually making money if they default on their mortgage. Yeah. So I definitely, I mean, I definitely agree with everything you're saying. I mean, the market is so hot that I mean, we're selling out everything that we produce. Wow. Within typically within 24 hours. Wow. Yeah. Now what makes Indianapolis so hot? And I know you're going national now. We're definitely expanding into other markets. I mean, we want to be very, very careful in our expansion that we always want to make sure that our investor is served. So we don't want to expand into other markets until we 100% feel comfortable with what our processes and our systems and the quality of the product there. So we're, um, like I said, we're just, we're just being very careful with it. Indianapolis is what makes it a good is just, just, you know, it's a Midwest, solid Midwest, stable type of uh, city. I mean, the jobs growth is is steady and solid. It is a very much a gentrifying city. There is a ton of money that the city's put back into infrastructure and development. And there's a lot of tech jobs that are coming into the city because just the cost of living is so reasonable. It's just a, there's a lot of factors that have caused the uh, price to rent to ratios to stay really strong. Like the the prices haven't escalated and really gone up like a lot of other cities across the U S. So you can still get a property where to buy it for the rent versus the price, the cash flow expectation is still very, very strong. So I think it's going to continue to be strong for the next 24 to 36 months. And then, you know, it could be a situation where it just, you know, just keeps gets more and more saucy to where it may not make sense. But as of right now, it, make, it does make a lot of sense for investors. Absolutely. I can see that. I mean, I'm, I'm only a couple hours away from Indianapolis, but Dayton, Ohio was hit hard in 2008 when Detroit was hit hard. I mean, the, we have a lot of car industry related stuff here in Dayton. So, we had GM plants shut down. We had a DHL warehouse shut down. I mean, Dayton was hit hard. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people lost their jobs. I mean, I would, 
I'm not saying that Dayton isn't a great place to invest, but I don't see the tech jobs coming into Dayton. It's still very much a blue collar town. Yeah. I know I might get some haters off of that, but it's the truth. It's still, right. <laughs> it's still very much a blue collar town. Who is your ideal client or investor who comes to you and what type of requirement do they need? Listeners, I want you to know that I'm not asking this because I'm trying to sell you on, on Jack, but I'm just super curious. Mm-hmm. Sure. We did a study of our investor base, like who was out of the you know 40 clients that we had, what are they, what's their typical makeup? And oftentimes, the majority of them were a married male over the age of 50 that had a income over well over 100,000 and had has cash. You know, we only deal with cash investors. People always like, well, why? what are you doing? You're, you're limiting yourself big time by not taking people that could use leverage and financing. And we just realized that like, our business model is very, very important for us to, um, I don't know how else to say it, churn and burn them. Like we can't hold a property for three or four months. We need to get the property ready, market ready, and we need to close instantly so that we can go on to the next project and create another property. Like we can't sit on things for that long. It, it's all about uh, keeping our money flow moving because there's you know hard money costs associated with the capital. So we do encourage our investors, like if you want to leverage and use financing, that's great. I use it myself and believe in it as an investor. You just do it on the back end. So you buy a property in cash and then you can just refinance it on the back end and pull your cash back out and apply leverage to it. So it just, it just makes our lives so much more easy and fun when we don't have to deal with banks on the upfront process because they can just delay the whole process. And we had several deals where three, four, five, six months in, the bank's still he and hawing around and we don't have a closed deal and it kills our business model. So that's that's uh, pretty much you know who we're looking for. I mean, we don't want somebody really honestly, I don't want somebody coming in with their last 50,000 in cash and buying a property. Those types of investors tend to be, uh, I don't know, high maintenance to where it's just, it's too stressful for us because they're so nervous and scared and, and relying upon this to provide, to, to work and, and just the pressure of that and expectation. I, I just don't feel comfortable with that, you know, um, Kim. I mean, we, we want to make sure that people are are doing this responsibly. So, Oh, yeah. I, I experienced the same thing and I'm not at all in real estate, but doing marketing automation, when I have the clients who are in scarcity mode, and want to make sure that they're uh, that this next funnel that we built, it's like they want me to guarantee that it's going to make them money. Well, I can't guarantee that, right? Like I, yeah. I can guarantee that I build it good, but I can't guarantee that people are going to come and see it. So I totally appreciate that, and they are a lot more high maintenance. Sure. And yeah, you, you can't guarantee when somebody's investing. I mean, you would like to, but you can't guarantee that they're going to make money. I mean. I hate to say it, but we, we just can't. And we right. we owe ourselves that hell yes, hell yeah, hell no of who we're going to work with so that it's not stressful for them and it's not stressful for us. Yeah, and you know, to speak to that point, we have absolutely been in discussions and looked at future strategy where we offer a guaranteed fixed rate of return to our investors. 
However, it would be lower, you know, maybe seven, eight percent instead of the 10 to 15 percent that they can get now in terms of, you know, they'd be giving up some of that extra, you know, profit potential because they're not taking on the risk. Right. I mean, obviously, it's a risk versus reward in any investment. So we have looked at that type of model. And honestly, like it sounds very appealing on our end, because then it's like every investor. I mean, they just they they walk in, they purchase and they get their fixed rate of return and they don't have to worry about anything else. And there's never any questions. There's never any there's never any real issues. I mean, it's just then it's up to us just to outpace that, you know, that money that we're paying out. We've got to make 10, 12, 15 percent on that property so that we can pay out the seven and still be profitable. But we have looked at that type of scenario. We are wanting to go that way eventually. But for right now, it's this is working and, you know, the investor base is happy and we're just, you know, we're just moving forward. When you brought that up, you actually made me think about I, I don't remember exactly what it's called. You can go to a bank and you can get like a two-year fixed savings. I forget the expression. Certificate of deposit. Thank you. A COD. Yeah. Where at the end, you know exactly what you're getting and the bank keeps any extra interest that's been accrued. Sure. Over that. I never really thought about that. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, you're getting, I don't know, in today's rates, maybe one and a half percent, two percent, but a lot of people, they, they're okay with that because they know it's secure and safe and it's predictable and reliable. Right. right. Banks like, yeah, we'll do this all day long because we're going to loan out your money at 4%, 5%. So we're going to make points on your money. Yep. Yep. If not even more. <laughs> yep. Yep. For sure. I want to just thank you, Jack, for sharing so much of your experience and ups and downs and just your story with us. I've, en- I've enjoyed our time greatly. I appreciate being on. I mean, this has been phenomenal. You know, I really enjoyed your enjoyed listening to your podcast and now being able to be on it is a pretty cool opportunity. So I appreciate you having me. I'm actually also surprised that all of our kids were quiet. I just know when I walk out, I'm going to have some type of blow up that I'm going to have. <laughs> At least they didn't barge in. Exactly. Thank them for me. Four kids all together, right? That that didn't come in. What are the chances of that for an hour? Slim to none. Slim to none. That's impressive. Slim to none. (laughs) Hey, if that's a lesson for for listeners, anything is possible. (laughs) Don't give up. (laughs) (laughs) Where can listeners connect with you online, get to know more about what you do and and all that great stuff? We have our website, highreturnrealestate.com. That if they want to learn more about that part of what we do as an investor, certainly go there. And, you know, my uh, email, jack at highreturnrealestate.com, if they want to contact me. If they um, want to hit me up on Instagram, I use my Instagram account for my nutrition company. It's uh, My Body Transformation Coach. Instagram is just a much, for that style, for that business, that's a much more how do I put it? It's a better marketing platform, Kim. I can see that. <laughs> Target demographic there. And uh, Facebook, I'm on Facebook quite a bit. Uh, you know, Jack, Jack Gibson, and you can look me up and friend request me. And I'll do a background check on you for six months. And, and then make- <laughs> I love it. That would be awesome if we really could do that. 
Right. Yeah. Exactly. Listeners, if you're driving, if you're working out, if you're trying not to burn your dinner, I will have all the links in the show notes, which you can find at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP466. Oh, you got me cracking up about the background check. That would really be so awesome some days. So I'm like, where did this person hear of me? I know. How did they end up on my friend list? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Thank you so much again for joining me today. This has been an absolute pleasure. Yes, it's been great. Thanks, Kim. Do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you could share with listeners? Well, I have a parting piece of advice for you because you're turning 40s in March. So for you, I would suggest that you make sure that you throw an incredible party. I did a two-night party for my 40th and it was awesome. Brought in a, a, a rat, uh, dueling rappers from Disney. What? Uh, band, yes, it was so much fun. Had a band come in, a dueling piano uh, bar band came in one night. So, yeah, it was so much fun. I don't know, I just think you turn 40, it's a big deal. Like just throw a cool, you know, make sure you, you celebrate and enjoy it. But anyways, that's <laughs> in all seriousness for your listeners. Feel the most important thing again is in any entrepreneurial success is do not ever ever hesitate to invest into yourself. You're going to get a ten times long term return. It's a guaranteed return on investment anytime that you put money, time, energy, resources back into your own personal and business development, your own knowledge base. Do not ever hesitate to do that. It pays dividends, much bigger dividends than any stock, real estate, crypto, whatever you're going to buy, precious metal. It's going to it's going to trump those over the long term by by a, a long shot. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.